Hey, I want to begin our time here in God's Word um, with four thank yous. Four things thankful for. Number one, I am just so thankful for Pastor Nick and for Pastor Eric just taking these last few Sundays and uh, uh, teaching out of Psalm 95 and out of Psalm 23. Aren't you? Uh, you just let them know. Um, so grateful for them. And I'll just add uh, that personally even just allowed me some time to be able to uh, uh, complete the submission of my request to do my thesis for my doctorate of ministry degree. So it's kind of like uh, I'm thankful, and yet it's like uh, I'm thankful for the work to be able to do the work to ask to be able to do two years of work. I, so it's a little bit of a unique thing in it all, but I'm really grateful for those guys and love partnering with them. Also, I'm just so thankful for what's happening with the Vertical Church campaign. You can see on the inside of the, the update there, just what's taking place, just highlight that um, not only have we now uh, actually passed the year-end uh, gift amount, but we have actually surpassed what our goal was. And uh, it's a big deal. And uh, so far, since about November, uh, the Lord has brought in about 385 plus thousand dollars for facility. And we're just really grateful for that. Uh, that really allows us to kind of close that chapter off. I'm going to be talking probably later this month giving you much more details about some things that are happening and the Lord, way the Lord's working. And so all those kinds of gifts outside of the ongoing are going to be able to be headed up towards our end of the year for this year. But God is good. God is very good with that. Along with the whole facility, part of what that's taking place is as pastors and as elders, one of the things we're doing is we're planning and we're in essence, Lord willing, if we're in a building in 2013, what does our ministry need to look like by then? And uh, so the Sunday after Easter, two Sundays from now, I'm going to be having a family chat and just going over with you a number of initiatives that we are putting into place uh, for this year and going to be working on so you know exactly uh, what's taking place. And I just want to let you know, one of those is we are going to be looking to bring on a fourth pastoral staff person. And uh, we're just beginning the process of that. We don't uh, have, uh, we're just early, early stages. We don't have anyone or <laughs> offered them. We're just in the very beginning process of that. But I just want to tell you, I am thrilled with where things are going. God has been so good in so many ways. Um, also, I am thankful for, for a Savior who died on the cross for our sin. And today is a little bit different. If you're used to coming here, usually we grab a passage of scripture and we dig into that passage. Uh, just today and also next Sunday with it being right around Easter and ha us having just finished up the Gospel of John, I really want for us to take a walk today. Um, I want us to walk to the cross. And so we're going to be observing and um, remembering. So let me begin the walk by praying. Lord God, you are so good. I mean, you just are by nature, you are by who you are. But you are also so good to this church body. Lord, I'm so grateful for Pastor Nick and Pastor Eric and just the blast that we have together. I'm so grateful for our elders, our deacons. I'm so grateful for our small group leaders. I'm so grateful for the people here who serve so faithfully. God, you have been so good to us here. And Lord, as we are in this walk as a church, May we never forget why we are. 
And in essence, it's because of the walk we're going to take here over these coming minutes. As we walk the week to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, please grab your Bible. Turn to Psalm 22. And uh, we're going to get there here in a while, okay? Psalm 22. It's Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Um, I actually think uh, Palm Sunday took place on Monday, but I don't want to be nitpicky today and and have you uh, blow your mind. Uh, Palm Sunday fits nice on Sunday. Okay, so we're just going to kind of go with that calendar of it. So it's Palm Sunday. And uh, it's Palm Sunday, and all Israel is abuzz. The entire nation is abuzz. This is a time of the year where the nation is anticipating, the nation is recollecting, the nation as a whole is gathering in so many places and so many special things are taking place. It's Sunday. And also, it's Sunday in Jerusalem. And on this Sunday, this is like Super Bowl weekend. We know what some of that is like. And this is a time where the city of Jerusalem, say, grows from about 250,000-ish in that area at the time to over 2 million, most likely. That means that they're all not fitting there in the city area, but they're all in the suburbs and around, but coming from all over to gather here for this Passover week. And so Jerusalem is a buzz. It's also on this Sunday, it's the time when families select the unblemished lamb, a one-year-old unblemished lamb that they will then have sacrificed on Friday. Friday between noon and three o'clock. Don't forget that. Between noon and three o'clock on Friday... It's estimated that some 200,000 to 250,000, a quarter million lambs are sacrificed. But it's Sunday and families are picking out their unblemished lamb. Jesus and the disciples, they're outside Jerusalem. Uh, they're actually staying in Mary and Martha, uh, Lazarus's sisters and Lazarus's home, most likely in Bethany. Jesus sends two disciples out to, to find a donkey and an unridden colt. And they find that. They then throw their clothes over it. And Jesus rides on the donkey. Or, I'm sorry, on the colt, the smaller of the two. And he goes in like a conquering king. You know, we think of riding a donkey as kind of like green acres or something kind of silly-like. But in the day, it was actually more as a representing a king, a conquering king coming into a city with a victory call. And at this time, a lot of times you may see in the movies where and part of the reason I like this picture is, is uh, this doesn't show oftentimes in the movies. They show like, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 people going, woo, you know, and the little kids with woo, and things like that going on. And yet when you think about it, uh, there's two plus million, two to two and a half million people in Jerusalem. All the abuzz that's been going on as a nation and all in Jerusalem, all this time leading to Christ coming down. Lazarus was just risen from the dead. Everything is taking place. I, I really... I, I can't prove this, but I think it's very likely that there's tens of thousands, if not over hundreds of thousands, 100,000 plus people at this Hosanna, King of Israel, coming in. 
Can you imagine that? How awesome. Here he is coming in and these people, Hosanna, woo! Come on, help me. Yeah, keep going again. That's just not one, but he's like, walk. That's right. Okay, and so they're coming into the town. And can you imagine being one of the disciples right there? For the last three years, you've been following this guy around. And finally, everybody gets it. Oh, how thrilled you must be at that moment. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. But Jesus knows Friday's coming. And yet he still does it. So the day goes by and they head back out to Bethany. It's a two-mile walk to the east. They head back out to Bethany. Can you imagine that walk? I mean, here Jesus is walking with the disciples back to Bethany. I wonder what that talk was like. I mean, come on, it's a two-mile walk. I mean, it's the type of thing where you just had a big day. I mean, Hosanna, the king. All the people are just going, oh. And you're walking back, and it's like, was that not an awesome day, you guys? Can you believe it? By the way, I saw this person, or I saw that, or this or that took place. Wow, that must have been a highlight. And then in bed that night, thinking about it, oh, it's coming. The kingdom is coming, as was in their mind. And the night goes and it comes to Monday. It's Monday of Passover week. And so they head back to Jerusalem and they head to the temple. In the temple area, there's all kind of stuff happening. It's almost more like a carnival. A whole bunch of profiteering is taking place. All that is brought in and this with the exchanging of money, which they needed to do. With, with getting the goods and all the various things is going on. But it was more like a flea market inside the temple area, uh, out in the court of the Gentiles area was going on. And Jesus was not happy about this. Why? You see, actually, uh, years and years prior to that, all of that hubbub was done outside of the temple. But as the years moved along, they pulled it closer and closer and closer to the temple grounds. Why? Because you could get more profit and because it was just more convenient. And so Jesus, I think for the second time, we see in John chapter 2 where Jesus goes in and he um, loves on the court situation happening i think about three years later now i think this is actually the second time where jesus comes in and he turns the tables over and he says don't do this <laughs> a lot of people are really intrigued by what happened <laughs> yeah way to tell him dude and uh a lot of the people who didn't like him really don't like him And then they head back to Bethany that day. Can you imagine that walk back? You've just had a walk coming back the day before where it's like, yeah, king, king, king. And now it's like, whoa, what was that about? It's Tuesday of Passover week. And again, back to Jerusalem and again, back to the temple. It's today the day debate begins. It's kind of as though, understandably so, that what happened the day before, the leadership 
in Jerusalem got together and now it's time to confront this guy. So the debates begin and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they challenge Jesus's authority. They say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? <laughs> Jesus, uh, understanding where their heart is, basically stumps them and just starts to teach. Then the Sadducees, <laughs> this is something. Sadducees, the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection in a coming resurrection. And, and so here they ask the question, uh, ironically, about the re coming resurrection. And the question is this, hey, uh, uh, Jesus, a woman marries a man and he dies. And then she marries again and he dies. And then she marries again and he dies. And she marries again and he dies. I don't want to be the next guy. But in this process, and then they ask, so uh, at the resurrection, which they don't even believe in, at the resurrection, whose husband is her husband? Now, let me just sum it up in the Greek. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous ale. Uh, and in, in the process of it, it's just the type of thing where Jesus just then he goes on to teach. But then the, after all of this, there's a scribe who comes and he asks, the scribe asks him and he says, uh, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And you see, that was a big question because in the day, all the big discussions were about which was the greatest commandment. You know, you have all the theology heads just duking it out together. They're not advancing anything really for Christ whatsoever. They're just duking it out about the law. And so he asks, and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and others as yourself. Bam. Uh, during this, after this, before this, at some point in time out of the corner of Jesus' eye, he sees a widow giving her everything. Who does that? I think I understand now more why that is such a key special event for him. Because of all this mess of faith going on and what's worship really ultimately all about and the glory of God just being trashed, here's this woman, widow, giving her might. Jesus says, disciples, be like that. That must have been an interesting walk back to Bethany that night as well. Two miles east. I wonder what they talked about. According to the timeline of the traditional timeline of Palm Sunday, uh, this is then viewed as Wednesday becomes the uh, silent Wednesday. We don't know anything. And I, I think it makes sense, if you will, from that standpoint, because we know that everybody's getting ready to go to Wednesday night service in Awana and various things that night. Um, not just having a little fun with it. Come on. Then it turns to Thursday. It's Thursday. This would be Jesus' final trip to Jerusalem. I wonder what it was like for him to walk the two miles now heading west into the city that at one point in time held the Shekinah glory of the Father and the Godhead. They go to the upper room of a house. The sun sets. It's the Passover meal. 
Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We went through that in John 12 here recently. The creator taking his robe off, going over, putting on the clothes, as we talked about, of the lowest of lowest servants, coming back over and doing the deed that is a deed done by the lowest of the lowest servants. And the creator, Colossians chapter 1, John 1, is washing their feet. And he's like, guys, like that. That's how you're supposed to be. A little while later, after some discussions, he uh, takes a morsel, dips it in the wine, and Judas takes it. And Judas heads off to betray him. Then Jesus passes the bread, and he talks about how it will be his broken body and the cup, how it will be his poured out blood. They have no idea what's going on. And so then we saw, as we studied through again a little while ago, the whole conversation of Jesus comforting them and teaching them and helping them. And then John 17 and Jesus praying for them and us. And then they go to Gethsemane. Uh, That night they head out to Gethsemane. The disciples sit and watch and pray and Uh, Jesus goes on and prays by himself, Father, take this cup, but not my will, your will. What an amazing, amazing event taking place between the Father and the Son. Jesus knows exactly what's coming. And the mental anguish is so much that he sweats blood, hematidrosis. Judas arrives, betrays him. Can you imagine that looking in those eyes? How does a person get to that point? Jesus is arrested. He's taken to Annas in Jerusalem. Annas is the figurehead chief priest. Annas was chief priest some years ago. Um, his sons uh, took it over. It was kind of like the family regime took place as the chief priest. Uh, at the time, Caiaphas, his son-in-law, is the chief priest, but everybody pretty much knows that Annas is the one who's the figurehead of it. So they bring Jesus to Annas first, and he's questioned there, and this whole uh, mistrial farce takes place. Laws are broken all over the place. And yet during this time as well, Peter denies that he's a follower of Christ three times. And cock-a-doodle do. And then he goes to Caiaphas. The clock has turned into Friday. And he's sent to Pilate. It's now 6 a.m. in Jerusalem. They're at the governor's palace. They're at the praetorium. Pilate comes out. He hears the Jewish authorities and what they have to say about what's their problem. They tell him. He takes Jesus inside and the two of them have a talk together. (laughs) Right kind of questions. I, I really like Pilate through this. Yet he was a struggling guy. Are you the king? He asked. 
And then I love it at that section. And we went through this as well. The, the question of all questions over time, Pilate asks, what is truth? You know, people talk like the Bible is irrelevant, like it's aged. Oh, so not the case. So they go back outside. Pilate tells him, I find no guilt in him. They still push. So Pilate decides in all of this, not listening to his wife, Pilate in all of this decides to uh, have Jesus beaten. Not the flogging that we generally see to the beat the living life out of him kind of flogging, but one uh, short of that, an initial flogging. This is the time where the, the crown of thorns is put on him, where he's mocked by this Roman soldiers. Uh, thinking then, then when he comes back, uh, he, the, bringing them before the Jewish leaders that they would then say, uh, that's be satisfied, that's enough, that's enough. We've shown him, now he'll be quiet. But instead when they bring him out, they cry out, crucify him. Pilate takes Jesus back inside. Interesting talk. Pilate looking at Christ, almost like wanting to get him off of this, to get him out of the situation. He looks at him and he says, uh, do you not know that I have authority to release you? And Jesus looks at him and he says, you have no authority, but the authority my father has given me. Hey friends, that is a huge moment because what it tells us is that Jesus Christ was not some duped hick from Nazareth that got a little overzealous with his religiosity and then gets caught. Uh, in this, what he's really saying is, you know what? I could step out of this scenario at any moment, any time, because I have full authority. And in all of this, he still basically says, no, you have no idea what you're talking about, Pilate, because the Father has a plan, and I'm submitting to that plan, and that plan is Friday's coming, and I'm going to the cross. Pilate, you have no authority over all these things that are taking place. Wow. So Pilate brings him back out. He sits on his, literally, a stone throne. And he declares the sentence and they have him taken away. It's Friday of Passover. Now the crucifixion begins. And now is when Jesus is flogged. Like you cannot even fathom. The Roman soldiers would repeatedly strike his back with everything they had. The whips had iron balls where when they would hit, they would cause deep contusion in the back. Sheep bones were uh, formed into the whip in such a way that when they would hit, they would grab the skin, pull it, and eventually peel things away into the sub-tissues. The underlying skeletal muscles are exposed and torn, and ribbons of bleeding flesh hang from the person's back. And the massive pain and the massive blood loss set the stage for circulatory shock. And it's to the cross. Crucifixion likely began among the Persians. Alexander the Great introduced it to Egypt and Carthage. The Romans likely learned it from them and the Romans perfected it. Turned it into a torturous punishment 
Crucifixion was designed to, to bring a slow death with absolute maximum pain. And the vilest of tortures was reserved for the vilest offenders. And the person being crucified was stripped naked. He would be beaten, carried the cross in the flogging post to the site of the crucifixion called the skull here for Jesus. <laughs> Roman military guards would come along and they were involved in this whole process. One of them would be carrying a sign for each of those if it was more than one that was being crucified that had the sign that said what it was his offense. And for Jesus, it read, King of the Jews. We went through that whole dialogue with Pilate and the chief, and the chief leaders and priests and how this was a spat against spat situation and yet in it, the whole carrying of the sign is so prophetic in the reality of it. At the site of the execution, both arms were stretched out, each arm nailed to the cross beam. The victim was lifted up to the vertical beam where his feet were then nailed in place. I cannot even fathom. And the condemned man was left open for ridicule, taunting, and death. To breathe, the, the victim would have to push up with the legs, causing added pain, and muscle cramps would ensue, and eventually would lead to asphyxiation. It was the most excruciating way to die possible. All done on purpose. Insects and birds would eventually tear into the helpless victim. Often at death, the body was left on the cross in order to be completely devoured by predatory animals. Can you imagine? And the length of survival ranged from three to four hours to three to four days. It's Friday. It's 9 a.m. And Jesus is nailed to the cross. Psalm 22 written a thousand years earlier by King David, telling of his own agony and his situations he was experiencing, and yet in the reality of it all, God, by what only God could do, has him penned down what the Messiah is going to be experiencing. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make my mouth. Uh, uh, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. 
Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust in you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, O come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. It's noon on Friday of Passover week. Mark 15, verse 33 says, And when the sixth hour, when noon had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, until three o'clock. Darkness over the whole land. Oh, by the way, when were all of the lambs sacrificed? Friday, noon to three o'clock. At 3 p.m. And at the ninth hour... Jesus cried with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lemma sachbathne, something like that, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. He gave up his life. They didn't take his life from him. He gave it up. 
at the ninth hour. At 3 p.m. You know, they said that when, uh, when all the lambs were sacrificed at this time, there would be so much blood coming from out all of the lambs that literally they had designed areas where the blood could be able to drain out and it was like little rivers of blood coming from all the animals. And at the time that the lambs are sacrificed, the lamb is paying the price. Hey, friends, understand this. God knows everything and has everything all worked out to the very details. It wasn't even just the fact of Christ dying on the cross, which is absolutely huge, but even the time of it is so monumentally important. God knew exactly at the time of Passover when all of the lambs are being sacrificed, the lamb is sacrificed. The final lamb is sacrificed. Oh, how sweet. Oh, God is so much bigger, so much more got it together than you and I can understand what's happening. Matthew 27 tells us that it's during this time that the earth shook and that tombs were opened. And did you know that some of the dead from the past, some of the saints from the past who were looking forward to the coming Messiah were raised from the dead then. Jesus hadn't even risen from the dead yet. And guess what? Life's already happening. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Huh. Access. Full Access. Awesome story, Doug. That's an awesome account of history. What am I supposed to do with that? I would just note Mark chapter 15, verse 39. And when the centurion, one of the Roman guards who had been a part of crucifixions multiple times, because these were trained teams. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way, he breathed his last, that's really important. That in other words, all that took place, he's seen this happen again and again and again. And yet this one took place in such a totally different kind of a way. In this way, he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. He, he was the essence of God. He was the equivalent one of God. He declared it. He drove the stake in the ground, if you will. This one is the lamb, the lamb. That's the story to the cross. The story to the cross is not just a story of history. The story to the cross is to be transferred into a story to eternity. Do you know the story applied to you? Hey, I'd like for us just to watch this story of Clyde and Kim and hear how the story... About six months after we got married, I accepted Christ. So I would say when we got married, we were equally yoked. And <laughs> but that quickly changed. 
it was about eight years after that that we attended Harvest for the first time. So I'd known the Lord about eight years when I started coming to Harvest. I was attending by myself most of the time. I came Christmas and Easter. He came Christmas and Easter. James started the series on Revelations, and I thought Clyde might be interested in that. Well, Kim didn't tell me how long the series was going to be. <laughs> yeah. The answer could have possibly been different, yeah. I will admit that. But uh, I said, okay, I'll go. That's, I, you know, who doesn't want to know the end of the story better? And so I started going, and uh, the, the music at, at Harvest has always gotten me. The worship music always gets inside of me emotionally. And every week I got closer and closer and closer to God. What, about five weeks ago? Yeah, five or six weeks ago, James had a yeah, like an altar call. And at the end of the service, I just stood up. Yeah. And I was a Christian when I was 14 and baptized. And he gave it myself to God. And then two, three weeks later. Yeah. You were uh, two weeks after Clyde uh, welcomed Christ back into his life. He was diagnosed with lung cancer. And it's a pretty um, severe type of cancer. They can't operate. And um, he, uh, I see that as God's merciful I'm not crying for the cancer. <laughs> I'm crying for how great I feel with God back in my life. Yeah. Man. Yeah, but I just, God's timing is so perfect. And he's so faithful and he's so merciful. And I just see God saying, <laughs> He, um, he drew Clyde at this perfect time because he knew Clyde would need him to be his rock, you know, because he knew what lay ahead for Clyde. And I just think that is so loving that God would say, I'm going to be here for you during this trial. Each individual who we treat really leans on different things. Um, and for Clyde, he has had an extremely strong, strong um, both physical, emotional, and spiritual support that has really meant light and day to him. Even when he has been down, there's always been a strength um, that's been there. You're always saying, what is it you're always saying? He's got more stuff for me to do. He's got more stuff for you to do. And you're always saying he's in control. Yep. He knows what's up. He's had the ability to bounce back from what are some pretty devastating side effects and from what is a devastating diagnosis and that he has maintained an unbelievable attitude both towards others and an inner attitude that he projects out. I mean, what are my choices here? I either beat this or I go to heaven. Okay. Yeah, you to know. live as Christ and to die You know what's going to happen, so God. I'm going to do my part to stay here with my wife and friends, but neither is a bad choice. For those people who are supporting him and surrounding him, continue doing whatever you're doing because you can see reflected in him that that support group means the world to him. So whatever's going on, continue it. I'm leaning about 4 o'clock in the morning and everybody, there's a sign, everybody coming in the room has to wear a mask and I have to wear a mask all the time and I thought, well, it's really stupid. So I got a magic marker and fixed my mask. This is, <laughs> you wanted to share this with you guys. <laughs> now, I'll share this with you all in case you're ever in the hospital and you have to wear a mask. When you put this on, the nurses will bring you all the jello you want, all the apple <laughs> sauce, they all like you, they make the needle go in easy. Makes a world of difference because everybody in there is mopey. 
But the other thing is, you put this on. I want you to talk. I want them to hear this. You put, <laughs> you put this on and you can witness so easy as a happy patient, because you've got God. What a difference. Yeah. That's my story. We're going to hear more of Clyde and Kim's story next week because the story doesn't end there. Do you know this story? 1 Peter 3 says that for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Romans 6.23 says for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 5 adds to that and says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, who have driven the stake in the ground by faith and knowing Christ as your savior. I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Is the story just a story? Or is the story your story? What a phenomenal time just to take some minutes here and remember the cross through communion. If you know Christ as your Savior, if there's been a time in your life where you've driven the stake in the ground for Christ, here in just a second, get up and go to one of the stations and grab the bread, grab the cup, bring it back down and We'll remember the cross together. If you're not sure, if you don't know that you know that you know, I just want to encourage you just to use this time as a time just to kind of stay seated and seated and just ask, Lord God, where am I at with you? What questions do I need to get resolved? And use this time as well. Let's take communion together.
Clyde is uh, now with the Lord. Clyde's story is a lot like Paul's story. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I, may be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And he goes on to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. That's the story of the cross lived out in the story of a person. How sweet. How so sweet. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Wow. The lamb was sacrificed. His body was given. And the blood that was literally pouring out of the temple grounds at the time was all pointing to the blood of the one lamb. God we are so undeserving and yet you did Lord God thank you so much for the story of the really the week of Passover all that took place from the triumphal entry to the triumphal death you have conquered. And yet the story does not end on the cross. <laughs> That's next week.